perspective with your host, Tim Day. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to the Right Spokane Perspective. We are throwing it out there this Thursday with Bob McCaslin. Shannon Benz, as usual, has some inspiration for us, and we're going to be talking about several different topics. We'll start out today with a topic that in the studio here we're pretty familiar with, so hold on to your seat, folks. Familiar as using your voice. Since age eight, Lisa had struggled with a stammer and became afraid of social situations that required her to talk with people. But later in life, after speech therapy helped her overcome her challenge, Lisa decided to use her voice to help others. She began volunteering as a counselor for an emotional distress telephone hotline. Moses had to face his concerns about speaking to help lead the Israelites out of captivity. God asked him to communicate with Pharaoh, but Moses protested because he didn't feel confident in his speaking ability. God challenged him, who gave human beings their mouths? Then he reassured Moses saying, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God's response reminds us that he can work powerfully through us, even in our limitations. Even when we know this in our hearts, it can be hard to live it out. Moses continued to struggle and begged God to send someone else. So God allowed Moses' brother Aaron to accompany him. Each of us has a voice that can help others. We may be afraid. We may feel incapable. We may feel like we don't have the right words, but God knows how we feel. He can provide the words and all we need to serve others and accomplish his work. Folks, you know the drill. And if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. Dear Lord, please show us how we can serve you with our voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, the first time I met Bob McCaslin, I was uh, sharing my voice pretty loudly in the Washington legislature. So the first topic of the day is that topic, and it was child care and early learning. Of course, we know that uh, the government has uh, promised us all sorts of free things and low cost things like the Affordable Care Act, where we're all paying much more for our health care insurance. And they always talk about affordable housing. And it seems like the, the more politicians say the word affordable and put an issue behind it, the more expensive it gets and the larger government gets and more expensive government gets. So we're paying more for the health care, more for the housing and more in taxes and fees and everything else to government. Well, they've been telling us that for at least the last two decades when it comes to child care and nobody's paying less for child care because they've closed down a lot of facilities that could provide care for children affordably. And they, they're trying to turn it into this corporate machine that of course is going to be more expensive to have chain stores of child cares, if you will. And the state being more and more involved, growing regulation, getting more involved in the day-to-day operations of, of child care businesses, making requirements that more or less are bureaucratic and more trainings for people that have been in the industry longer than these lawmakers and bureaucrats that are trying to reform if they think it's reform or ruin the industry. So Bob, jump on in here uh, because you had an article from a couple of weeks ago's newspaper about more child care promises from the legislature when we're still seeing increasing costs and less access? Well, the thing that I've noticed, you know, over the years, I got put on the early learning committee in the house way back when, because I was a kindergarten teacher by trade for 20 years. And I remember part of your testimony in that committee hearing. And instead of calling it the early achievers program, you called it the early deceivers program. (laughs) Well, I remember that they created that program. And I chuckled a little bit. And it was like 
the early achievers program and all of the metrics and the things that we're trying to come up with had nothing to do with actually helping children achieve. It had to do with the government achieving a more of a foothold in bureaucratic operations. So it was a deception to me. On top of it, the information that they were sharing with legislators actually was not the same information that they were sharing with other college stakeholders. They call them. Thank you. Yeah. Child care operators and and the burdens it would, it would create. They thought they were going to create this seamless system for birth to five education. Yes. And, and the thing is, I mean, when I was teaching kindergarten, I could recommend to parents. Parents would always come to me and say, do you know of a good child care? And I knew four or five within two miles of my school. There's one now within two miles of, of my school, University Elementary. The thing that bothers me so much is that same old, you know, mantra that the Democrats have in the legislature. They said, listen, we are the government and we're here to help you. Oh, yeah. I think Reagan said that was the famous nine words you never want to hear when the government knocks on your door. Exactly. And the thing is, they made it worse and worse. They put former Representative Ross Hunter in a new incarnation of it. Well, it was Department of Early Learning, and that was that was really insidious. In my view, because I didn't see him as an early learning professional at all. I don't remember if he was an attorney or what it was, but his background had nothing to do with child care as I remember it. Yeah, he was into technology. I think he was actually funded in his political life by the Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates, because he was in the technology world and they pushed him into office because, of course, Bill Gates owns Washington State. And so, I mean, more or less, that's, you know, the vast majority of legislators won't stand up to a Bill Gates lobbyist. And he's got dozens and dozens of them because well, it's multiple organizations. It's not yeah. just Bill and Melinda Gates. It's, you know, Americans for the Prosperity of Children or some kind of name like that. There's tons of them. And Bill Gates funded them. So Ross Hunter was put in charge of the Early Learning Committee. And I think he was still in charge when you were on the Early Learning Committee. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yes. So he helped push basically the agendas of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he helped push the agendas of the Democrats to to try to more socialize, create a social system for birth to five education. And then he creates this bureaucracy, throws more funding at it, increases the pay scales for the bureaucrats, including the one at the top. And then he ends up the guy at the top. It's like using taxpayer funds and special interest monies for political campaigns to build an animal that you later get to own. But everybody else is paying for it. Absolutely correct. Yes, I, abso- I actually think he worked for the Gates in their company. And then he ran for political office, was supported by the Gates. And then he was put up into being the head of the Department of Early Learning so that he could continue to push the agendas there. Now, understanding that in the early learning realm, the Gates dumped millions of dollars. There wasn't even in the training classes that we would do as early learning providers the Gates would sponsor those trainings. Yeah, there was tens of millions of dollars by the Gates Foundation dumped into the system that you could see, but a lot of people couldn't see a lot of the other things that were being dumped in there because it was under a different name because the Bill Gates Foundation would fund little Thrive. subsidiary movements and organizations like Thrive Washington. Thrive Washington. And then, of course, Thrive Washington was run with a board, and that board consisted of the same Bill Gates-funded politicians, such as... Uh, try to. Kagey. Ruth Kagey, that was one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got any other? Do you remember from the legislature that just had their hands in this? 
as thick as, you know, just mud. Well, and, and, you know, an example of that was they thought creating this new department was going to solve all the problems. When they created the Department of Early Learning, it used to be DSHS, and they took child care, anything to deal with, with children away from them because they, they pointed to one lawsuit that basically there was a computer problem. And, and so a family sued the, the Department of Social and Health Services for that. And I can't remember the, the name of that, but at the time they... Well, that was, it was, that, that was mostly for, you know, work first programs. That was back before welfare. They were trying to sell it to everyone as a hand up, yeah. not a handout. And then it just became, you know, the government wants to be involved in our lives through helping paying for services. But initially, in decades and decades back, the child care subsidy was for parents so they could go to work and the children would have a safe place that's licensed so that they know that the children are being cared for and the parents also have a legitimate business that they're they're dealing with. And even if they're not a licensed business, at least it's somebody down the road that the state recognizes as a legal citizen that's not going to kidnap these kids or something, right? And so uh, what was the name of the program? Working Connections child care working connections child care yeah so that was the subsidy program and they said look we're putting hundreds of millions of dollars into helping low-income parents we can use that to help start this agency well it went from an agency that was just you know a couple hundred million dollars to now it's this giant agency that they've actually been able to multiply its powers over the families and children because it's not department of early leninism anymore i mean department of early learning it's dcyf department of children youth and families so they want control throughout the whole culture of a family from birth all the way through becoming a grandparent. Well, but ex- expanding on what Bob had said, because they did separate. DSHS was in charge of Working Connections Child Care at the time. And then you had the licensing agency and they had to separate because of this lawsuit. Well, now that would have been 2008. Fast forward in the last But that was just the excuse years. of separation because it really didn't need to be a separation because DSHS has been sued tons of times. It's the largest bureaucracy in the state. Correct. But they separated it, made it a cabinet level agency so that it could have its own funding. And now they've right. put them back together again and combined it with not only parts of DSHS, but you've got CPS that works in the same building because now it is Department of Children, Youth and Families. Right. So anything that has to do with children, youth or families goes through their office. Well, and part of that was a political game, too, because they wanted to make sure the people that were on the fiscal committees, Bob, that you used to work with, that they started looking at DSHS and said, this is too big of a financial animal for any of us to tackle. We've got to start separating out this bureaucracy to find out where all this money's going so we can better make financial decisions in the legislature. So they had a political excuse for the number crunchers on the financial committees. And they also had an excuse with, you know, the bureaucratic leaders that wanted to grab power over children and families by separating it out because they could have separated it out without making it a cabinet level agency. It was the first cabinet level agency for birth to five-year-olds in the United States. Well, and the excuse that they gave for creating this new agency was that there was this huge lawsuit that was filed private from a citizen, private family. And and it all had to do with not having their computers updated, updated enough to actually do what they promised that they were going to do. And, you know, we can argue about whether those things were good or not, but here we are in the process of renaming that agency. And one of the main reasons they wanted to rename the agency so the lawsuit wouldn't follow and go to this new agency. And the lady who had been responsible for updating their computer
computers, which was a huge part of that. Still, she came, I think it was the third or fourth week of the legislative session that year. And they asked her under oath if if she had, uh, and it wasn't really under oath like in a, in a courtroom, but they asked her if how that was going. And, oh, we're still behind. And they didn't have it done. And I thought, and, and you want to have us create something new with the same people involved. But, but, but more power. Absolutely. Level agency. Absolutely. More power and, and more budget. And more budget, more funding. And, and so that's gone on. And of course, you know, there's a, there's a YouTube video out, a video out there. Uh, do you remember the name of that that we put it out? I, they keep burying it every time we get up to a thousand views or something, but it was, uh, why is the government so interested in early, in early learning? learning? And you have to spell it out. Why is the government so interested in early learning? Question mark. If, if you get any letter wrong, it won't, you can't it won't find bring it. it up. Right. They've so, but we did it. that presentation years ago. And of course the predictions that were in there, we're seeing them come true. We're seeing larger conglomerate child cares, nonprofits. They're moving away from family home child care. Like you said, Bob, there was five good, probably home-based and small business child cares near the elementary school where you used to teach kindergarten. And now you're hard pressed to find those. I mean, because basically if there is those still out there, they're either black market, if you will, because they don't want to deal with the government and the bureaucracy. They just want to care for children. And, you know, so that's not something that you can point parents to. They have to find on their own. But then you have these big corporate animals that a lot of children aren't going to thrive in a classroom at three and four years old if there's 40 other students that are in earshot. Well, you're absolutely right. And they, gosh, I remember the last time I met with a local child care provider, she had called me and my son had been at her family's childcare for a, a whole school year. And it was a great place to be, wonderful place to be. So she wanted to meet with me and I said, oh, I see what's going on in your childcare. She goes, no, we can't meet at the childcare. Uh, we have to meet over at this coffee place uh, that's about a mile away. And okay. So we get to, together to talk and I said, so why couldn't I come? And she said, we never never know when DCYF is coming. And every now time they- we're where they're sitting. That, that, that's it. Now we just, we, we stepped into a whole nother side. <laughs> now we're not on legislation and creating the entity. Now we're on yeah. enforcement. So we're going to have to take a break. We're going to come right sure. back with Bob McCaslin, Shannon, Ben, and Tim Ben with Right Spokane Perspective on how government enforces. We'll be right back. We want to thank God and you, the listeners, for the opportunity to continue the Right Spokane Perspective radio show and podcast programming. We sincerely thank Mike Fagan for 12 years of dedication to our listeners and guests of the Right Spokane Perspective, and we wish you well in your sabbatical and anticipate hearing from you again in the future. Listeners, it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts, commentary, and alerts on what's happening in local government, politics, and issues affecting us all. Please send your most generous support to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, PO Box 7620, Spokane, WA 992. Two zero seven. Thanks again, and back to the show. And welcome back to the Right Spokane Perspective. We have Bob McCaslin, former state representative, 4th District, in the studio today. And Shannon, Ben, and I are talking about early learning. And in the first half, uh, hopefully, folks, you learned a little bit about what has happened uh, for our families and to the children in Washington State. And they're planning on putting a hurt again this legislative session. So if you uh, happen to read the newspaper or you're interested in going to the legislative website and looking at what they're doing in early learning and education to our children, 
and I go to www.ledge.wa.gov and in that search box up in the right hand sign type in early learning in 2023 and it will bring up every single bill that is on the docket yeah it'll bring up those bills for early learning yeah and then you can go and look at those bills and the bills intent uh, but don't believe the intent you know ask the child care provider you're down the road that you might know about the state and and then make comments on those bills because Bob when you were uh, talking about early learning in the first half uh, you were in the legislature when they uh, just after I think at least that they created the Department of Early Learning and the legislative intent of the agency was increasing access to high quality child care and of course we've seen a reduction uh, like we talked about so you had this meeting with a, a child care provider and she said, well, we're going to have to go meet coffee. You can't come to my child care as a state representative because we don't know what you are. We don't have a background check on you. And, you know, the state might be, you know, concerned if there's somebody that's not a parent. And so we, we don't know when these licenses are coming. So we have to live on, uh, you know, eggshells, walk on, on broken glass just to care for these children. And so what'd you find out from this child care provider when you met? Well, the shifting framework of what a child care provider can be accused of without any evidence. The DCYF people would come and, as she described it, as they, without letting her know ahead of time, and, and point out all kinds of things that were not there in reality. Basically, well, it looks different on paper on an invoice of infraction than it does in, in reality. So there's a ball on the floor. They could say that's a tripping hazard. Well, the kids are playing ball on the floor, lady. You know, it's fine. It's okay. But no, on paper, it but looks like... But the way like, they write it on the paper is not the way that it actually appeared to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Children are rolling a ball on the, on the floor yeah. and, you know... That's okay. Cause, but the not, water no. in the dump truck was a drowning hazard. Yeah. It just rained. We hadn't gone outside and dumped it out so, yet. So our child care, we did have that instance where we had a water in a dump truck that was in the front yard. Of course, kids play with it, and we don't always get every single toy put away. It starts raining. Okay, kids, line up. We're going to go in for you know snack. And there was water in the back of a... Uh, a little Tonka truck and we got written up for a drowning hazard, but it's not also, the, it's not just the drowning hazard because what makes this incident where, and of course, if you ever worked with children and you had a front yard with toys in it, that toy is not going to have water in it very long and it's not going to stay in the same place very long. But the other part of the infraction that makes us even more evil for allowing that rainwater to be in that Tonka truck was West Nile virus. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because West Nile virus is going to grow in a Tonka, Tonka truck at a daycare. The water's not going to be there long enough for even a mosquito to notice it. Yeah. But that's, yeah. So you're, the child care you met with experienced those very same things. I'm sure. And, and, and the thing is, I, they took kids from real babies all the way up through middle school. And they had a, a batting cage, actually. That's awesome. All set up. And kids, you know, wore batting, batting, batting helmets and so on. And, and, you know, for the little kids, they, they used softballs. And there was always an adult there. My son thought it was the cool things, the coolest thing to, since sliced bread. I mean, it was it, it was just the neatest opportunity. And and he got really interested. And the owner of the childcare had played baseball in high school, and so and so on. So it was a it was a great thing. But and I asked um, this lady about that, and she said we haven't. It was the year after your son was there that the Department of whatever it was called Children, back then, families, yeah. they shut it down 
because it, it was a this huge danger. And well, it's all self-contained. I they call it a batting cage for a reason. Yeah, so one you person know, allowed in the cage. With exactly. The ball. Exactly. Well, and then they decided to use age-appropriate uh, tools. You know, softer bats, soft balls for the younger children sure. and the older ones. Yeah. Well, and, and, and plastic plastic bats, and and they they do that. You know, with with wiffle balls and things like that. And that's how my son started. You know, learning some of those skills, and I thought it was fabulous. And the thing that I didn't your son end up playing baseball in in higher grade levels? No. He no? didn't. He or that was you. Were you into baseball? Tennis. Oh, tennis. I was on the was on the brawny tennis team at Central Valley High School. Okay, but I never. I never lost. There you go. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Well, you know, and, and opportunities like that for children to, you know, what we called it in childcare was large muscle skills. You'd learn how to, to operate a bat and, and make contact with a, a an approaching ball, right? So hand-eye coordination and all those things are important skills that you learn as a child. And we've taken so many of those opportunities away from children. Basically, my wife and I as childcare, I ended up trespassing. You should have been there. It was great. I ended up trespassing the state government government from our secondary piece of property where the play equipment was because they were going to make all of our play equipment illegal and by illegal people are thinking what kind of what kind of play equipment was that that sounds really awful well it was a rocket ship that the children there was two steps to go up in there the kids had fun we never had an injury uh over two decades nothing major and we had a slide system where the kids could go up the stairs and get to the slides and go down they actually never left the ground there was no the place to fall on the dirt there there was no place to fall the slides were yeah exactly on the on the surface because of the hill that we built there but it was homemade equipment so if it was homemade it didn't matter if it wasn't approved by the agency so we're now we've headed to everything has to be professionally built equipment which is extremely expensive if you're just caring for a handful of children or it has to be a piece of equipment that you can hold on to the directions when you assemble it so you can go to walmart and get a cruddy piece of equipment so all of those opportunities have been taken away from children whether it's a batting cage or a wading pool or and it's not just as children. I want to I want to jump in and say that the Department of Children, Youth, and Families requires that child care providers do continuing hours of training every year. We all know continuing hours of training is a good thing. So providers go to these trainings and they learn about these cool things, rock climbing walls that you can put in, new toys, new ways to do science and STEM learning, and a vast array of different fun things. And when you are a person person that loves children, just like this per- this provider that you chose, they loved the children enough to share with them their experience in baseball with a batting cage. And I'm sure that they used it safely, which is, yep. you know, what we all try to do. But giving kids the ability to experience those things is something that the department and, and legislation actually is taking away from children. And one of the things is maybe doesn't get pointed out on a regular basis is connecting with kids is 80% of the job. If you can't connect with those kids with something that they love to do, with something that they're interested in or or something they can gain interested in, they're not going to learn from you. Guidance is only 20% of, of the job, if you will. I work with young children. I don't call it a job. It's a mission. It's a ministry. It is the 
the funnest job on earth. Well, and, and so really we're taking yeah. opportunities away from adults that work well with children and we transitioned it. It's going to be a corporate, you know, drive through care, uh, you know, like flipping burgers, you know, they want them all to look the same. They want them all to taste the same. Uh, they want them to all have the same value system. And it's not a value system that comes from the American culture. Actually, even worse, we are pulling them away from following the guidance of people that really want to speak into their lives because that 80% connection can't be made if you're not able to give them what they're interested in. Well, just like that, in, that uh, production that we did on YouTube, why is the government so interested in early learning was that have you ever seen a, a cookie cutter child you know and in that presentation all the women in the audience laughed because there there's no child that's the same and have so have you ever seen kids make cookies yeah right <laughs> so so they all need a different experience and you can't just legislate you know a process like manufacturing when you're talking about young children especially young children because they're saying oh these kids need to have rigorous early learning rigorous early learning that sounds like child abuse to me sounds like china it it, it really is because it and i'm trying to choose the right words here and and not be politically correct well, here, here's how i did it when um, i was talking to democrats we don't want to stifle the child imagination and we also don't want to hinder them in areas where they might have strengths we don't know about that's how i i put it when i was talking to democrats well and that's that's that would be the intelligent way to to actually do things and the thing is if it's not contained in a rule book or a policy manual when it comes to something that comes from our state, then it, it, it's just not right. You know, to, to have child care owners be creative in how they use their space and the programs that they provide, the educational things they do, the play opportunities, all of those things. And, I, you know, I, I remember one of our local senators from the third district showed up in your child care and it was fun, Tim, to come in and and see this kind of blank look that that was there like I've I've like I've never heard any of these things before. But the thing is if if you've never been to a child care, just to observe closely, not just kind of, oh well I'm your state senator and I'm I'm so glad that you're doing this and blah blah blah. If you're not listening to what the child care providers are doing and why they're doing it that way. See that's the problem with these licensors you well, know they come in and they they already have this is what you must do because we're in charge check no boxes. you need to be in charge of your own child care so you can provide what parents want not what the state wants well at the same time there were all these licensed family home child cares and small business style child cares providing a service to you know a hundred thousand children across the state and they closed down so many of them and what they left behind was uh, subpar care in my view because there was license exempt categories you know whether it's the the family friend and neighbor program that they had where basically uh, you know a few friends that were drug addicts would get extra money for the state from drugs and say they were watching each other's kids in these apartment complexes I actually saw that and then we also had I mean you've got the federal tribal system as well and that's a whole nother animal and I was going to dig into that for just a second because you know the number one thing that they always said to you guys when you were on 
on the early learning committee is if the children don't know how to read by third grade, they're less likely to succeed in life. That's what they always repeated over and over. And so here's an article from uh, last week's newspaper inside the movement to revitalize tribal languages in Washington schools. And what the, the article all surrounds is reintroducing in this article, it pays closely to the Ishkalin, uh Wapato uh, lang- language in this in this region of uh, Yakima, and I'm not against that necessarily, but we're not even sh- teaching the children how to read at this point. We're di- they were distracted with all of these other things that are culture and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and gender, and all this stuff. We're pushing it onto them at their very youngest ages, even in childcare, with curriculums that don't respect children's ability to understand life. They don't understand that children don't know about gender issues. They're not going to pay attention to those issues, but they're pushing these ideologies through children's books and things uh, in, in child cares. It's, it's terrifying. Shannon, last word. The connections are broken. We need to quit breaking the connections. We need to quit taking them out of stable places where people are speaking into their lives and building relationships with them. And you have them one day and the next day they're gone and we throw them into this unstable situation. It takes away their ability to do well in school and to even succeed past the third grade when they're passed around from place to place to place. They don't have a place that they can call home. Uh, and, and that is a, a bad thing because they don't trust their teachers because their teachers are too busy checking the boxes. They're stopping families from being involved in the childcare settings because they've made it so corporate that you just can't have volunteers that can pass a background check. It used to be that easy, but not anymore. Well, folks, we're out of time for today's show. Uh, come back tomorrow because we're, I don't know, I think there's 2.7 billion reasons to listen. I guess you'll have to listen to tomorrow's show to find out. We'll be back then. Bye-bye.